Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 14, week 14, volume 14, number 14. We've got all the Mosh news, Mosh reviews, and of course, we've got a Mosh interview. And this week, we sit down with Wednesday 13 of Wednesday 13 and Murder Dolls fame, just to name a few of the bands of the many he's been in. First up is Mosh news. Bit of a quiet week this week. Not a lot has been going on. We did get the massive news that Ramstein are back in the studio. They are currently showing a few teasing photos of a recording process going on. And this will be their first album since 2009. It's taken a long time for Ramstein to get back in the studio, but this is pretty exciting. There is some negative to this news. It's been rumoured over the last year that this will probably be their last studio album. We will, of course, keep you updated on any other news and information as it comes to light. Please make sure you're visiting our website and our social medias for all updates. Other news this week was Cancer Bats unexpectedly, out of nowhere, unleashed their sixth album, which is called The Spark That Moves. Cancer Bats announced... Suddenly, out of nowhere, that their album is available online. It's on iTunes and Spotify. They said, basically, no hype, no pre-orders. Here it is. And what a tactic by the band. It's very unheard of nowadays that a band just drops an album out of nowhere. So it takes a lot of guts and a lot of confidence in your album to do so. They have done it independently as well, which is a bit interesting. We thought they were still signed to a label. Peers, they're not. We will be reviewing that album next week. Really excited to delve in and get to really give it a good listen. All that information regarding that album, the track listing, the artwork, all of that is on our website and our social medias. Make sure you get on there, give it a squiz, get that album into your ears now. Other news this week was Bury the Kings have unleashed another music video from their upcoming EP. Really exciting Melbourne band there. We also had a new music video from Voidavision for their song, You Will Bring Me Down. That footage is all taken from their recent European tours. We also got a new Skindred track from their upcoming album, Big Tings. We also had a introduction video by Devil Driver for their upcoming country music covers album, That is also on our website and social medias. And that is the Mosh News for this week. As always, make sure you're subscribed to our website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Make sure you're liking and following and visiting our social medias on a regular basis. That is all at The Mosh Zone on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure you're getting onto those For all your daily and weekly updates, we give you the news when we get it. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First up this week is the new album by Pennywise called Never Gonna Die, out now on Epitaph Records. The Southern Californian punk band, or skate punk band as they're commonly referred to, have forged quite a history for themselves. They came together in 1988. They went on to release their debut in 91. Fast forward, 
to now and they are without a doubt one of the most successful and well-known skater punk acts of all time. This band, Pennywise, have sold over 3 million records and of course there's also, with all that success, does come a bit of tragedy and line-up shake-ups along the way. Pennywise have had a bit of both. In 1996, they unfortunately had the death of their bassist, Jason. And in in 2009, they had the departure of vocalist Jim Lindbergh. Over a decade has passed since the group has last recorded new material. And this is their first with the almost classic lineup. That means Jim Lindbergh is back in the band. This album, Never Gonna Die, is their 12th studio offering. That is a lot to have achieved so far in this career. The album is also produced by longtime collaborator Cameron Webb, who's done Pennywise, No Effects, Alkaline Trio. You pretty much name a punk band or a skate punk band, he's probably done it. This album clocks in at 14 songs, and it sees Pennywise very much sticking to their signature sound of their socio-political commentary mixed in with a lot of hope and motivational lyrics. The album kicks off with the title track and it's straight in with a vicious truth and straight in with a vicious pace. This song is a very solid introduction and solid opener for this album and it very much sets the pace for what's about to come. There is also songs on this album that are very anthem-esque, which is what we expect from Pennywise. Songs like Keep Moving On, which urges the listener to, you know, stay strong, carry on, move on, all of that kind of jazz. Similarly to that catchy anthem songs are other songs like Live While You Can, which is very much what Pennywise are kind of saying here with this whole album is not only... Are they trying to light a fire under the arse of the listener? But they're also trying to get full throttle anthems and vibes and rhythms going. There are, however, some negatives with an album like this from Pennywise. And I don't know whether they are a negative for someone like me who isn't a hardcore fan or if they would be actually a negative for a hardcore fan. Those problems are that when you get to the later end of these albums... It starts to very much feel the same. There is a feeling of retreading of older material. A lot of these songs feel like I've heard them before. Pennywise, you give them props, they stick to what they do, but once you get this many albums into your career, if you're not an avid, solid follower of this band, you might just think, ah, you know, I might just go back and listen to a classic, which is what went on with me. I thought, well... This isn't really doing it for me. I'd rather go back and revisit their catalogue, their classic albums. In Another way of saying it is this album feels stagnant in creativity and time frame. It feels very caught in the past and everything seems to blur together. At the end of the day, the way to approach this album is very simple. If you're a diehard Pennywise fan, if you're a diehard skate punk fan, you're going to love this without a doubt. There's going to be nothing wrong for you. If you're a newcomer or you're a casual listener, you might find it a bit too simple, a bit too straightforward. There is nothing amazing to this album, but there is also nothing awful to this album. It's just simply a solid album in the Pennywise discography, and you can take that as you will. 
This is an album for fans, without a doubt, of Pennywise. This is an album for fans of skate punk and punk rock and pop punk. This is for fans of Strung Out, Propagandy, all of these style of bands. They're going to love this. This album we are talking about is Never Gonna Die by Pennywise. It is out now on Epitaph Records and we do give it a a 6.5 out of 10. Next album up for review is the new album by Breaking Benjamin called Ember. Breaking Benjamin have been a band for quite a while since the early 2000s. They're a band that have always been one of the big names in the alt-metal scene. They've always been challenging their contemporaries such as Chevelle, Three Days Grace, Finger Eleven, Evanescence to be at the top of the game. Breaking Benjamin took a brief hiatus around the peak of their popularity and then returned with just frontman Benjamin Burnley and a whole set of new musicians behind him in 2015 with an album called Dark Before Dawn. The momentum they gained straight out of the gates in their return of 2015 has been further continued on this new album, Ember. This album is definitely a dark, brooding album, and it's full of heavier riffs and very oppressive atmospheres, very dark lyrics, probably more dark than we've heard before from the band. The piano intro of the first song, Lyra, leads into the first song, Feed the Wolf, which is a decent mid-tempo alt-metal number that will not offend fans of the style of this music, but it also won't offend fans of Breaking Benjamin. Fans will really enjoy this. As you get a bit deeper into the album, you begin to realise that nearly every song on it seems to be written with exactly the same amount, an equal amount of potential to be a radio rock hit. These songs are garnered to the rock radio audience. Each song has a massive melodic chorus, very standard pattern of verse, chorus, verse, very general guitar tones. There's nothing special about these guitar tones. While they are dark and heavier, they're very simple in sounding. There's a very rhythmic interplay going on. The dynamics and the sense of melodicism throughout is very heard before style. Now, the fact that there's no real standout tracks, you can either take as a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your view of it. Thankfully, though, the quality of the music is good enough and high enough that it won't bother you too much on the lack of variety in writing. The heavier style vocals aren't really there that much, but they occasionally make themselves known on certain tracks, like one of the singles released, Red Cold River. And even though the band does have three guitarists, they rarely deviate from the same riffs you're not really getting anything special having three guitarists you do occasionally get a lead part in the guitars or a solo in a song like psycho or the harmonics that are a bit dark in blood but really there's not much substantialness going on here the production on the album is very big is very tight is very punchy and it's definitely on par with a lot of modern metal bands like Seven Dust, Five Finger Death Punch, 
of Mice and Men. Though it does lack real punch when they do go a little bit softer, which isn't often, but it does really lack some punch. It feels like it's not really there on the softer side of stuff. The performances of all involved are decent, but being honest, I don't think it's really noteworthy. Guitar riffs are solid, bass and drums hit hard, but that's what you expect. You're not hard-pressed to find anything really outstanding and special in the musicianship and the performances on this album. The lyrics are very much in, as I said, a darker, more brooding tone. A lot of it is about depression and frustration. A lot of it is very, very melodramatic. There's a lot of hopelessness being portrayed here. And there's not really a lot of room for any light or any positivity. By having a dark lyrical trend, Benjamin Burnley's vocals are very melodic throughout. And occasionally with the use of harshes, it does fit the music well. But it's never really overutilized. Harmony vocals are present. It does occasionally add some layers. But again, it's not really doing that much. One of the big negatives I have to say about this album is in the modern climate of social medias and singles and all of that. This album, they released five singles off before it was released. The album technically is ten tracks, but you take away the two interlude or instrumentals, it's only eight tracks. So technically, you've already heard pretty much the whole album before it's actually been released. This isn't the way I think any band or label should market an album. It's understandable to drop a couple of singles, but if you're dropping over half of the album out before it's released, it doesn't get you excited when the album is released. Overall, if you are a fan of this mainstream radio rock alt metal sound, then Ember by Breaking Benjamin is going to be one of the best albums you'll hear all year. It is well crafted and it knows its audience and caters specifically to them very well. Even if this style of alt-metal, radio-metal is also not your cup of tea, you still can't deny that Breaking Benjamin do do a decent job of it, and they do have the production behind them to push them further in the forefront. There are big drawbacks to this record, and it does come down to feeling very dated in the style and sound. It also feels very plain. And because there's not a lot of variety or differences in the track structures or the writing structures or the melodic tones and the riff styles, it simply feels difficult to determine one track to the next. Breaking Benjamin are definitely very good at doing this, but... I really feel like this kind of album, you can't digest too much without getting bored of it. This will cater to all fans of Breaking Benjamin. This will cater to fans of radio rock, anthem rock, post-grunge, alt-metal. This will cater to fans of Evanescence, of Chevelle, Three Days of Grace, Finger Eleven, The album we are talking about is Ember. It is by Breaking Benjamin. It is out now. And we give it a 5 out of 10. 
Next album up for review is the new album by Tesseract called Sonda, out now on Caroline Australia Records. In the UK, the progressive metal or tech metal scene has always been one that's dominated the overall scene of that genre. The UK seems to produce a lot of bands that are very good at this style. And Tesseract themselves are definitely one of the bands that are at the forefront of always leading the charge. The band have constantly been memorising audiences live ever since their debut release, which was called One, was released in 2011. The problem this band has had, though, is that with every release, it feels like there is a new vocalist. It's a new lineup. It's a new feel to this band. Their last album was Polaris, and this was the return of original vocalist Dan. And this saw Tesseract really going in a more radio-friendly, accessible style. Now we come to 2018's offering called Sonda, and it sees... Tesseract take everything they've learnt and combines all the features of their sound into eight tracks that are very progressively brilliant. Right off the bat, the album opens with some bursting, huge sounding riffs with a trademark bass-driven sound that just hits you in the face that fans know and love on the track Luminary. Dan's vocals break through with an unsettling yet gentle contrast that has the same power as the instruments. This song, Luminary, is the perfect example of the evolution of the sound of Tesseract. The riffs have heavy moments, but they still have a very catchy feel. The band have found a way to balance out their heavier roots with their mainstream recents. And this song is then followed up by a, probably the standout of the album called King. It also was the lead single and it is probably arguably the best piece of writing that Tesseract have been able to do to date. The song has an ability to ebb and flow through huge polo rhythmic instrumental sections into a massive chorus Probably one of the biggest chorus this band has ever made. Dan, the vocalist, also returns with some aggressive, harsh vocals that are delivered in a very appropriate manner. They're there when they need to be and they accentuate the moment when it needs to be done. This song demonstrates a lot of heavy capabilities of the band but also shows the perfect restraint to not give you too much. One thing about Tesseract that's always obvious and always easy to comment about is the bass player Amos and the drummer Jay are always phenomenal and they always shine on their albums. They bring a mass amount of thickness, groove, funk and mountain sounding moments. The bass has a, has moments where it's slapping and it's funky, while the kick drum just absolutely pumps into your face. Tesseract really have a gentle, funky moment when they want it. And it's all due in part, mainly, to the bass and drums going on. The record seems to flow perfectly. One reason I think it does is because the problem with a lot of tech metal or progressive metal, whatever you want to call it, is it quite often overstays its welcome. This album, while only eight tracks, 
refreshingly doesn't exceed 40 minutes. A lot of these bands will get into the hour long and then it feels like it's too much. One thing about this album is it feels like it flows perfectly. There's not too much going on. It gets its point across and then keeps going. While we mention things like the bass and drums, you can't also not mention the stellar guitar work going on by James and Ackle. They have the ability to not only go heavy and dissonant in riff style, but then they can also feel disruptive. Then they can feel very melodic and very beautiful and very blissful at the same time. Musically, this whole album tells a story, whether it's through the lyrics or the music, and it has the ability to flow up and down, up and down. There is very much a big impression on this album. This album is an art for Tesseract, and they've done it perfectly in their sense of style on Sonda. Hopefully this album will gain some attention, and hopefully we'll see Tesseract continue to hone their sound on their next releases. Existing fans of the band will be overjoyed and ecstatic about this. Anyone that really enjoys this progressive style will really enjoy this. This album is in this genre is definitely one of the best you'll hear not only this year but of the last few years if you have to pull a negative on this album it is that at times while it is very pushing the forefront and being very progressive it can come across a bit wanky and what i mean is it comes off a bit too showy offy it's like hey look at us we can do all of this in a song while that is at times very wow in awe Also, it can go the other way and it can feel a bit like, settle down, buddy. Just fucking do your job. Just play a fucking riff. So if you have to pick something out, it is that. This album is for fans of progressive tech metal gent. This is for fans of Periphery. This is for fans of Between the Buried and Me. This is for fans of Tesseract itself. This album we are talking about is Sonda, it is by Tesseract, it is out now, and we give it an 8 out of 10. Our last album up for review this week is the new album by A Perfect Circle called Eat the Elephant, out now on BMG Records. This is the band's first studio album in almost 15 years. And coming into this album, I don't know what we were expecting. I think we all thought it was going to be hard rock or maybe metal, but we're completely sideswiped with all of those ideas. As soon as you realize that Billy Howdwell's guitar work has taken a massive backseat, it's not even really on this entire album. Instead, are piano pieces and electronic pieces in its place. While this does create a gorgeous atmosphere and some very beautiful moments along with Maynard singing, I feel like it's too mellow. Unfortunately, it's too surprising. The real punch and kick and purpose this band has feels a bit like it's waned now. The heaviness has been forgotten and instead at times it feels like they're trying to be a bit too creative, a bit too artistic. Now there will be people that go, fuck yeah, I love how creative Maynard is. And they'll froth over it and they'll jizz all over the fact that Maynard is creative. But you have to look at the context of the music. The music comes across 
boring. There is a lack of rock. And I know for some people that's not a deal breaker, but for me, it was a deal breaker. There is strong songwriting. There is big, catchy moments. There are very good songs. And it is beautiful and depressive and very easy listening. And I don't think you'll struggle to get through this album, but I also don't think you will remember it once it's gone. I don't think this album will stay in your mind and stay in heavy rotation for much time after it's been played a few times. There is diversity and there is a lot going on, like I said, but it's a bit too chill. It's a bit too low-toned. It's a bit slow pacing. It's a bit too similar sounding. You cannot deny and criticise the talent of this band. You cannot. When you've got someone like Maynard in there, Billy Howdrell, it's just there is unbelievable talent. But as I said, it's not really solid. I I know this album is going to gain a lot of attention and I think the majority of it will be very positive attention. But I'm confused as to why because this album doesn't do much. This album really stagnates. This is a worrying thing for me because we've waited so long for this album. I think because it's taken so long, I think we've ended up with something that we could have not had. And the side effect of that is, do we start getting worried about Tool? Do we start worrying that Tool won't be heavy? Yes, A Perfect Circle haven't always been heavy, but they've always had that grit, that bite from guitar work. As soon as you remove that guitar work, there's no grit, there's no bite, there's no punch, there's no true energy. This album will be popular. This album will probably get better in time. But will this album stay on heavy rotation? I don't think so. Will this album exceed your expectations? I don't think so. Will this album be a classic? I don't think so. I don't really want to harp on it too much because I really don't think it's worth the time. I think if you really want to give this a go, give it a go. I think if you're expecting a perfect circle, you're not going to get it. The album I am talking about is Eat the Elephant. It is by a perfect circle. It is out now on BMG Records and it is for us a 4 out of 10. So that is all our Mosh reviews done and dusted this week. What did you think of our reviews? Do you agree or disagree? Let us know. Is there an album out that we haven't yet reviewed or covered? Let us know. Are you in a band and you have an album or EP coming out and you want it reviewed? Let us know. If you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can send us an email, themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through our social medias, which are all at The Mosh Zone. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can get in touch through our website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to open some dialogue with our listeners. We don't bite. We are friendly, and we are welcome to all your feedback and your input. So... Now it's time for our Mosh interview of the week. This week I got to sit down with Wednesday 13 of, of course, Wednesday 13 and Murder Dolls fame. I got the chance to speak to him ahead of his Australian tour, which is coming up very, very soon. It was great to get the opportunity to chat to the man. He is a really insightful dude, 
and fun to talk to. Really had a great time. Thank you for taking time out for the show Wednesday. That chat with him is coming up now. All right. Well, let's get into it. What do you want to know? So how old were you and do you remember what brought you to kind of the heaviest style of music? Um, for me, I got into music at a, at a pretty early age. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think I really started getting into rock music until I was probably like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. I started kind of listening to it and paying attention to it before it was just kind of background music for my favorite movies. You know, I liked, I liked a good Chuck Norris or a Rambo movie, and I liked the soundtrack. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. It's got a good beat. That sounds cool. You know, I didn't really care about bands. And then, you know, when I got, like, into, you know, fifth and sixth grade in school, you know, I started seeing Motley Crue and, and Twisted Sister and White Snake and Poison and all these kind of bands. And, you know, and um, you know, so that was kind of like the first like cassettes and things I started listening to. And, uh, that pretty much was, was my early upbringing was, was, you know, that whole late eighties, you know, when Guns N' Roses, when Appetite for Destruction first came out, you know, around that time, that was, that was my early upbringings of music. So that sort of set a set of precedence, you know, of, of what, of what music would be and I think I've kind of followed in those footsteps and carried on the tradition of of all those bands I just mentioned what made you because you initially started playing guitar if I'm correct in thinking and what made you want to be a guitarist was it the influence from bands like Guns N' Roses or is it just that was what you were drawn to I don't I don't know I just want to be in a band I don't I don't know if at the time I knew I wanted to be a guitarist. Uh, you know, I wanted to be a front man, but I never tried singing or anything like that and was certainly too shy to even try it. So, you know, my idea was cool. Who's the next cool guy in the band that I always like? I always like, you know, I always like the front guy the best. And then I would go to the guitarist, you know, and, uh, so I thought, okay, cool, I'll be a guitar player. So I got a guitar when I was like 11 or 12, I asked for for Christmas. And first year I got it, I didn't know what to do with it. Basically set it in the corner, it collected dust. And then I had a big plan, oh, I want to get, this year I want a bass because it's got two less strings. And I can play that, that's got to be easier. I'll be a bass player. So I got a bass for Christmas. And when I got the bass, my parents had bought me a tuner, and I learned how to tune uh, the bass. And then I was like, oh, well, let me tune up this guitar. And as soon as I tuned the guitar up, I started playing guitar, and I never touched the bass. So <laughs> that was kind of back and forth between that. And then uh, and then I joined my first band at 15, and it was just four of us. We couldn't find a vocalist anywhere to save our lives. We got one guy for two months, and then he quit, and it was just kind of just two years of practicing three times a week with no vocalist and one day I was like fuck it give me the microphone I got this new song and I sang and everyone was like well you sound cool and that gave me some confidence and I began singing from from that age so I think I was like 
oh man, I don't know. I was 15 or 16 when I first started singing. And was that Maniac Spider Trash or was that Psycho Opera? This is uh, what would turn into Psycho Opera. It was, uh, we didn't even really have a name. We called ourselves, I think eventually, we were no name at all. Then we then we called ourselves Misery with a, with a Z. And then Misery turned into Psycho Opera. Uh, we got a vocalist for like a year and he liked Dream Theater, so he thought we could be called Psycho Opera because that sounds like Dream Theater, which we sounded <laughs> nothing like. So <laughs> we, we did that band, and basically it was like four originals and four covers because we were the opening band, and that was pretty much what it was. And, um, and once we got rid of that guy, that's when it turned into what would be Maniac Spider Trash. And... I took over on vocals and uh, quit playing guitar and just started just basically wanting to be the weirdest, strangest band that anyone had ever seen in our town, and we accomplished that. And then uh, when that band split up, that turned in that kind of, or that band kind of split up, and some of the members, that turned into Frankenstein Drag Queens, and that went on for six years, and then that led up to Murder Dolls, and yeah, so it's been a uh, it's been a long ride. I need I need to put a book out and get all this stuff wrote down. Oh yeah, tired me out talking about. It's a fair journey, and you you've said murder dolls, which of course is when you became known to people that weren't familiar with your previous work. And is it true that Joey contacted you and said, "Come and play for me"? Well, yeah, it was. Um, it was a combination of three people. It was it was Jordison, it was Trip Eisen at the time because he was playing in the band. He was in Static X at the time, but he was he was working with Joey. The band was called the Re. It wasn't called Murder at All. It was called the Rejects. And the actual they had a front guy. They had a, they had a vocalist at the time, and he was actually uh, the biggest fan of my band. He loved Frankenstein Drag Queens. He had ordered a CD from me through a through a mail order or something. And he had played it for Joey and Tripp and was like, man, we should, this guy's awesome. And they liked the music. And um, so Tripp hit me up because I knew him prior uh, before. So he got in touch with me and said, hey, I'm working with this band. Uh, would you want to come and play bass? And I was like, uh, well, I don't really play bass, but I could because I play guitar. I guess I could. If it's three chord punk rock, I I can play bass. Yeah, and I was working at uh, I think I was working at Kmart, a department store, at the time, and I was like, man, anything to get me out of this fucking place. So I was like, sure thing, I'll, I'll come play bass. And then I spoke to Joey, and they were he was telling me much he liked the music, and he was like, well, you know, no one knows your music. I'm putting this band together. When something like goes on hiatus, we want to use some of your songs and you can be in the band, but we have a front guy, and I'm like, well, that'll be kind of weird. I'm going to play bass on the songs I wrote and sang for years. and uh, But that was the plan. We went in the studio, um, and then about three or four weeks in the recording, we split it up over a series of months, and then that last two weeks in the studio, I just pulled Joey aside, and I was like, man, I don't know if this front guy is working out the way you think it's 
should and the way I think it should. And he was like, you're right. You should be the front guy. And then, like, last minute, I ended up doing the vocals. And how did that, how so did I, that feel? I, how did I graduated it... from bass to lead vocal and, and, and like, overnight. And overnight, you you became a name. Um, how did that feel? Did it feel... Uh, did it feel like all those yards and time and effort you'd put in up to that stage was suddenly starting to pay off? Because when that first album was released, Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls, you guys became very popular. You became so much of a household name. Um, you guys were everywhere and anywhere at the time. Was it was it a great feeling at the time or was it suddenly a bit too much expectation and spotlight? Oh, it was it wasn't enough for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it was you know it was yeah that was just the beginning. I wanted more and more and more, and unfortunately, we only got the tour for one year on that first album, and and then Joey had to go back to Slipknot, so that kind of that kind of really slowed well, not even slow the momentum down. It stopped the momentum. It was just it was done at that point but uh but no it, it felt great you know uh you know to get out and 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 see the world and travel and play those songs and for me it was even extra special because i had wrote you know 95 percent of that first murder dolls album is my frankenstein drag queen song so i've been playing those songs for six years in clubs in front of five people or three people and or at the most a hundred people if i was lucky you know, some special event, and, you know, here we are opening up for Iron Maiden in front of 150,000 people, and I'm playing these songs. I'm like, yeah, all right, <laughs> it's cool. You know, and, uh, and, 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 the, and the one thing that really worked in my favor that I think that was luck that was on my side was, you know, Murder Dolls, when we came out, we, you know, like most new bands, they really have to, you have to be discovered. You have to have some kind of buzz or someone's paying attention to you. And Murder Dolls had instant attention. It was the first Slipknot side project without their mask. Mm. So everybody wanted to know what they looked like without their mask. So we had all this, you know, it was kind of dumb at first. Like there was like, you know, stupid reporters and stuff like trying to get a look at Joey and like just dumb, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, so we had this instant attention, and we had we had an instant audience because people want to know what Joey was doing, and um, so we kind of had it easy on on that front. We didn't really have to start from square one. We kind of started from square ten. We were we were already in the middle and and doing things, and uh, but luckily the fans caught on to it. And the good thing that worked out in my favor was that once people started finding out that that music was from my prior band and I had those releases out in Europe, you know, for five or six years. So, you know, it got in the magazines that, oh, well, these songs were used on Wednesday's original band and blah, blah, blah. And that label released all those records. So you couldn't go into a record store in, in England at the time without, you looked at the Murder Doll section, there was, 10 of my Frankenstein drag queen CDs in that same section. So all the kids were buying it up. So they were discovering all of my old songs. And so I just didn't look like just some new guy out of the blue. That was Joey's buddy that, you know, I, I literally looked like I had like a 
you know, six, seven years worth of work already put in. So I think that worked out in my favor. So when I did start my solo career, it wasn't just like, oh, you're just that Murder Dolls guy. It's like, well, yeah, I am just that Murder Doll guy, but I also did six years with this band and released six albums and blah, blah, blah. So here I am, like it or don't. And then when, when you went into the solo career, um, was there ever a thought of maybe going back to Frankenstein Drag Queens or was it, you know, now is the perfect time to do the solo career because you came straight out of the gates with the solo career. You were doing a lot of uh, European tours. You were playing Download. I mean, was it that was what you wanted to do? It was just, you know, your name or was it, okay, maybe I could go yeah, back to Yeah, I mean, well, well, at that point, you know, Frankenstein Drag Queens had went through so many members and by the end of I pretty much disbanded that band because at the end I was the only original member from when it started we started as a three piece and those the other two guys you know they'd been out of the band for several years and I'd continued on for years without them and at this point I was you know it was like it was my band and and you know I just once murdered all started started I just put it on hiatus and when it when the murder dolls went on hiatus, I had a decision. I was like, "Well, what can I do? I could, I could restart Frankenstein Drag Queens, but that had been a few years." And I'm like, "Man, I don't want to, I don't want to put on a wig and wear a dress. I'm getting older. It don't look as good on me these days." Um, so that was, you know, that deterred that number one. And plus, I wasn't close with the guys in the band. We kind of had like a little feuding thing going on there for a while. And so it was a bunch of stupid drama. And so I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I want to call it Wednesday 13. And if, you know, I'll get a band and if that guy quits, it's still Wednesday 13. And if that guy quits, it's still Wednesday 13. And if that guy quits... It's still Wednesday 13, so I don't have to restart, and, you know, and uh, so that's kind of where the idea came from, and uh, so since 2003 was when I, in the 2003 was when I put that first idea together, and here we are now, album number seven. And, I mean, going now into that album, album number seven, Condolences, you guys have always been grinding and producing music on the regular. You guys haven't slowed down. It's like within every two to three years, you guys are delivering fresh music. Is is it is it you writing the music or is it you and other guys in the band? Because how are you guys able to keep flowing? Because there's no slowing down now. It looks like you guys have all the momentum and all the determination. Well, I just... You know, I don't think we've ever lost that that hungriness that bands have. You know what I mean? Like, just because we got signed to a, a label you know, last year, we didn't sit back and kick our feet up and go, Woo! All right, guys, we made it. <laughs> it's all downhill now, you know? I literally went, oh, man, we just signed to a label. We got a lot of work to do. You know, and I think that's, for us, you know, we've always tried to better ourselves. So every release, you know, we're just not stuck in a time zone going, okay, sign and record a record, here's another song about zombies, let's do this, blah, 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 blah. 
run to the mill, no one cares. Like we we put our we put our heart and soul into it, you know, and uh we you know, I mean when you go on tour and this is all you do and it's you don't have a day job and you spend eight months on tour and you gotta play these songs every night, you know, write a good song. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't wanna be stuck all year going, Oh man, this song sucked then and it sucks even worse now. <laughs> now I gotta play it every night. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know, so for us it's, it's you know, write good songs, keep it, you know, in the field of what you do, make yourself happy, make the fans happy and everybody's happy, you know. And uh so for us, you know, we just really haven't or for me I haven't lost that 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 hunger, you know, like I'm not content where, where I am as Wednesday 13, you know, I want to be on a bigger platform. I want to be on a bigger stage. I, you know, I would love to get to a, you know, arena status at some point. I have ideas that are larger than life and I've gotten pretty far so far with what I'm doing with my stupid imagination. And, um, you know, I can, I can take it, you know, even further. So, uh, so for me, the the sky is, you know, the sky ain't the limit. Let's go to space. Let's take it further. Let's, you know, let's take it as far as we can. And uh, so, yeah, this band is never, ever, I'm never, ever content with, with where we are. I'm always wanting to build, be better, bigger, um, and just build the brand till, till you know, like I, said, I feel like we have a million fans out there. They just, they don't know it yet. Yeah, I think that's one thing that you guys have, um, obviously you would know yourself, but you guys have a diehard following and it seems to keep growing with each album. Um, is it? Do you often pinch yourself to think that no matter where you go, you have still those loyal fans from, from, from whenever you've started to still this day, you still have the same people and new people rocking up to your shows? Yeah. Oh, it's very, you know, it's gratifying, it's humbling. It's 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 great to know that we've maintained the older fans and at the same time getting new fans. You know, those older fans are, you know, that were 12 and 13 when they heard Wednesday back in 2005. Now they're older and now they were like, oh, you know, they're turning their friends on the stuff or hell, even their kids. I got little babies at our shows and stuff now. It's, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, and it's just, I've kept a loyal, th- this band has never gotten so big that I can't keep a, a personal kind of distance with the, with the fans, you know, like with a band like Kiss or, or, or something like that, you know, you're, as a fan, you're so far distanced from that band because they're so big, you know, we're still containable. You could see us, you could touch us, you can feel us, you can hear us. And, you know, so I think that's, you know, we've, we've kept this underground following and they know that we're serious because we constantly release music and we, I mean, like you said, we, we're constantly putting out stuff, you know, and I feel like we're putting out quality stuff and the fans see it and they, they believe in us and, you know, we give them a, an outlet. They give us an outlet, you know, we're, we're a team. We can't do it without them, you know? And, um, you know, so I think that's why it's, it's, it's worked out for us. And, and the fans are so loyal because, 
you know, I have spent hours out in the rain talking to fans that waited, you know, no matter what, you know, and they remember that. So, uh, you know, a, a thank you, a handshake, uh, can 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 go a long way and we've been very fortunate with our fans i like to call them they're just they're lifers they're there for life and i think also something you guys do that is unique in the landscape of modern music is what you do the you know as you said songs of zombies and the horror theme and all of that um at what stage in your career do is this what you decided to um brand yourself and sing about because nowadays you don't see this there's a lot of bands of the same style that are different styles like there's six bands that sound the same but there's no one that really sounds right. like wednesday 13 what made you go this is what i want to do well i think the reason i did what i did is because i didn't hear what i wanted to hear exactly i had heard you know, like for me, like, you know, I was a big glam rock fan and I was a big hair metal fan. And, you know, I love everything from, you know, T-Rex and Sweet, you know, as well as Motley Crue and Twisted Sister and Wasp. And I loved the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the Damned. And, you know, I loved this combination. Like they were like all my, my, my favorite bands. And I just... um you know, once I started playing guitar and was singing, you know, I, it was easy to play those kind of kind of songs. So when I start writing songs, you know, first thing you ask yourself when you write a song, you go, well, what am I going to write about? Okay, number, question number one, what do you write about? Okay, well, what do you know? Well, what do I know about? Well, I could tell you everything about every horror movie that I've seen. I could tell you every He-Man and G.I. Joe figure that exists and toys and pop culture so all right you got a cool riff here so sing about what you know and what i know about monsters so that's where it started and i just literally sang what i knew about and that came easy to me and it became you know people love my lyrics because i was really funny with it because i i i i did keep a sense of humor with it you know and um so that's really where it all started, you know, and, and I've always used a horror-type image, you know, and I think that just comes from just being early, an early kid sitting in front of a television at four or five years old and watching Bugs Bunny, and then they'd follow up, you know, Bugs Bunny followed by the Three Stooges and the Monsters, and, you know, I'd watch that just like it was normal, you know, seeing Frankenstein and... Uh, Dracula and a little werewolf kid and Bugs Bunny was as normal to me as seeing anything. So it's kind of been this lifelong addiction thing or just this normal thing with monsters. I just represent myself with that imagery and that became what I've known for. And yes, that's what I do. And it definitely, it definitely is is unique and and awesome and different. Um, and I think that's the drawing power, like you said, is that people love that and it's 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 not the same old shit which is which is something unique to say nowadays in the landscape now before i let you go i agree one thing i'm going to ask is the upcoming tour um what can we expect because one thing we're lucky here is we see you you know every so often so we're going to have pretty much a condolences set or is it going to be a bit of everything splashed in it's always a bit of everything. I would never, ever 
subject the audience and go, you're going to listen to our new album all the way through, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I always put myself in the audience. I'm I'm a fan as well as a member of the band. You know, when I'm I make the set list, I'm the I'm the judge and jury on that. I decide what we play every night. Um, but I always, when I make that set list, I put myself in the audience and I go, all right, if I was here and I'm a fan of Wednesday 13, what would I want to hear? Well, would I be upset if I didn't hear? Am I okay with hearing this? Would I be okay with this? And I literally will spend a month, like my band hates me because I'll send them 20 versions of the set list by the time we get to rehearsal. And they're like, dude, figure it out. And I'm like, I'm trying. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like literally it's 20 years of trying to please everybody. You know, if that one guy comes in that wants to hear bad things from Transylvania and I don't play it, you know, he's going to be fucking pissed. You know, so it, I, I got to keep that guy in mind. And I do, you know, so and a lot of bands don't care about that. But again, I can't do this without the fans and, you know, their input and everybody wants to have a good show and what's better than to play a song that everyone wants to hear and they go crazy for it. So it's just hard to fit all the songs in the set list. I could pick, I could pick up a list of songs all day long that would be great. It would just take us three hours to play them. Well, I can't wait. It's going to be sick. Now, before I let you go, I do a quick segment called Pick Your Poison. Okay, so yes. you pick one or the other. Uh, pizza or burger? All right. What's the question? I'm sorry. Pizza or burger? Uh, what's the first word? Your your accents. I'm oh. totally I'm not hearing it. Bert something. Pizza what? or burger? Leecher. Pizza. Or burger? Pizza or burger? Okay, yeah. sorry. No, I, you're right. I hear terrible. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I would say uh, I would say pizza. Cinema or couch? Couch. Freddy or Jason? Freddy. Cat or dog? Cat. Terminator and more cat. Terminator or Predator? Predator. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. But I do love Star Trek. Beach or snow? Snow. And last one, touring or recording? Touring. Bang on. Thank you so much, Wednesday. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem, man. Thank you for all the good questions. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you down here soon. Awesome, man. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Good night. So that was my chat with Wednesday 13 of Wednesday 13 and Murder Dolls fame. Thank you, Wednesday, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Great chat. Great to get some insight all about the man, his love for music, and his love for horror movies. Of course, he and the band are touring Australia from next week. The tour starts on Thursday the 26th in Brisbane, concludes in Wellington on the 29th of April, They are touring with Davey Suicide. It is called the Condolences Australian Tour. 
make sure you get your tickets they are on sale online we will have a link on our website if you haven't had a chance to get your ticket now get it now so that is episode 14 done and dusted for this week another fun show another show in the can i hope you enjoyed the show thank you for listening Next week, we've got another stack show, some really big interviews coming up over the next few weeks, and some big albums to review as well. Don't forget, there is the new Parkway on the horizon, there is the new Bleeding Through coming, there is the new At The Gates, and also we will be reviewing the new Cancer Bats, which we had mentioned earlier in the show. Of course, make sure you are visiting our website and you have subscribed so you are getting the email notifications whenever a new article or a new bit of news hits the website. The website is, of course, www.themoshzone.com. Also, you can follow and like our social medias. All our news articles and podcasts are also on there. Those socials are at The Mosh Zone. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, of course. Also, if you do want to send us an email, you can get in touch at themoshzone at gmail.com. We really would like to open up some communication with you guys, the listeners. We are really trying to get a question segment rolling out in the next few weeks. So send us an email Hit us up with a comment on our Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or even just comment on the website. We want to open up the dialogue and make this show as much as your show as it is our show. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe and download this podcast on your iTunes, your SoundCloud, your Stitcher, your TuneIn Keep up to date and keep the regular listening going. Of course, if you have got time, please help us out with a bit of word of mouth or sharing the podcast on your social medias. Let everyone know about the Mosh Zone. Help us spread the word. We can only reach so many people and your help is invaluable. And of course, we do notice when you help out. We are grateful for anyone that listens regularly and shares regularly. So that's it. Episode 14 done. Thank you for listening in again. Have a safe week. Open the perch.